Well, hi, everybody. Hi. I feel like they're really to do this, right? You guys do a great job, and out there, aren't they part of everybody? Let's give them another shot. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Well, let's pray together, and then what are we going to do? We're going to dive into God's Word, so let's do that. Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much for these kiddos, the parents, grandparents, neighbors, whoever it is that brought them here this morning to sit at the feet of you, Jesus, not at, of a pastor, but to hear the truth of the word, of who you are. You are salt and light. You call us to be salt and light as your followers, your disciples, those who go out into the ends of the earth revealing who you are. And so I pray, Lord, today that in and through our worship, and through the unity of your bride, that we would reveal to those who are lost, deluded, and disillusioned the truth of who you are, and that, God, you would be glorified. We love you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, I have a story from the Bible that I'm going to read a little bit of. Have y'all ever heard of a lady named Ruth in the Bible? You've heard? Yeah, you don't have to raise your hands. We're, we're just hanging out as friends. This isn't so you guys can just say, yeah. All right. So what part of the Bible is Ruth in? New Testament, Old Testament? It's in the Old Testament. So it's really kind of, see, like I got Ruth tapped here, and it's towards the beginning part. And what's interesting is if you just turn one page back into the book of Judges, the very last verse of the book of Judges, it tells you the whole story of the whole book. The whole book of Judges is summarized in one verse, and it reads, In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit in their own eyes. Or some translations read, whatever seemed right to them. They did whatever seemed right to them. How do you think that's going to go? Would you think that that's a good thing, or do you think that's a bad thing? Come on, tell me. It's a bad thing. It's horrible. Are we supposed to do what we think is right in our own eyes? No. No, we're supposed to do what? That's right. We're supposed to do what's right in God's eyes. Exactly. So do y'all remember the prayer that Jesus prayed when he was in the garden? He was about to go to the cross. He was about to be arrested and crucified. And he knew how horrible and painful that was going to be. And he says, Father, may this cup Pass from him. He's talking about the wrath that he's about to endure in his scourging and going to the cross. He's about to endure all of that. He says, May this cup pass from me. But at the same moment, he says, What? Not my will, but your will be done. Isn't that awesome? And that's what God wants from us in our lives all the time. He wants us not to think about what's important in our eyes because then we're just like the people in the book of Judges. We're just doing what we think is right in our own eyes. So if you turn the page into the book of Ruth, I'm going to read just a little bit. It says, during the time of the Judges, there was a famine in the land. Well, no kidding. If you're not doing what God wants you to do, bad things happen. And God said that, right? God told him that was what was going to happen. There was a famine in the land, and there was a man who left Bethlehem. Does anybody know what Bethlehem means? Anybody? Bread. Beth, that's right. Beth is house, and Lehem is bread. So he's leaving the house of bread. Isn't that a little ironic that there's no food 
in the house of bread, and that's because the people of God have turned their backs and they're doing what's fit in their own what they see fit in their own eyes. So there's a famine, they're leaving Bethlehem, and he goes into the territory, the land of Moab. Moab is like, oh, you don't want to go to Moab, Liam. It's a horrible place. Those are our sworn enemies. That's like cowboys and Packer fans hanging out together. It's crazy. Don't do it, Liam. Don't do it. So they're going into Moab. That means things had to be horrible to pick up your whole family and go into the land of your enemies. And when they went, sometime down the road, the man and his wife and all of their kids, they went, and his sons got married. Well, the man died, and then his two sons died, and so the only ones that were left in their family was his wife, and her name was Naomi, and then the two daughter-in-laws. See, his sons had two women that they married, so the only ones that are left are the women. All of the men are dead. And if you're in a foreign country where women are devalued, they're considered to be very, very low on the social scale, and there's no man to stand up for you, things are not good. So you're in a foreign country, in the land of your enemies, you've got no men to protect you, and so they decided, Ruth, or Naomi decided, it's time to go back to Bethlehem. We better go back. So all of the men died, and then it says in verse 6, she and her daughters-in-law set out to return from the territory of Moab because she heard that the Lord had paid attention to the people's need by providing food. Isn't that amazing? That even in our sin, that God still does what? He still does good things. He still loves us. Isn't that what we've heard over and over and over again in Psalm 107? That when things got bad, what did God do? He delivered them. And then they did the silly things again, and things got horrible, and then what did God do? He delivered them. And then they went and they did silly things again, and what did God do? He delivered them. Isn't this getting old? And then they did silly things again, and then what did God do? He delivered them again and again and again. And that's the word kesed. It's his covenant loyalty or his covenant love because God made a promise to you and 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 to all of humanity through a man named Abraham. In Genesis 12, 3, he said, Abraham, because of your faith, through you, all of the peoples on earth will be blessed. And you know how that blessing comes true? How is everybody in the world blessed? Through, it's the Sunday school answer, right? Jesus! Everybody's blessed through Jesus. That was your one shot. That was your one shot. You guys usually take Jesus for everything else. It's through Jesus, right? All right. So everything's bad. They're going back to Mo, or they're going from Moab back to Bethlehem because God heard their prayer. All right. They're traveling around along the road, and Naomi, that's the mom said to each of the two women, one of them's name was Orpah, the other one was Ruth, and she says to them, you guys need to go back to Moab, where you're from. Go back to Moab. And you know what the two of them said? What do you think they said? Any ideas? One of them said, okay. That was Orpah. She didn't really want to go, but when she got pressed, and Naomi told her a second time, she said, no, you really need to go back. Finally, she said, okay, and she kissed her, and then she went back to Moab. 
But do you know what Ruth said? Do you know what Ruth said? My mother-in-law, her name is, we call her Mimi. And when you say something to Mimi that she doesn't agree with, she's got a little phrase that we kind of pick on her. Mimi says, I don't think so. And that's exactly what Ruth said. She said, I am not going back. I'm going to read for you. She said, Ruth replied, don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I'm going to live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I'll die there too. And they're all buried. And she said, may the Lord punish me and do it ever so severely if anything but death were to separate you and me. And you know what Naomi did? When she realized that it was pretty pointless to argue with Ruth, it says in the Bible that she stopped talking. I'm not trying to convince you anymore. Isn't that awesome? See, I tell you that story because God's blessing and His covenant love is where we always should be. It's always available, but sometimes, like the people in Psalm 107, we choose to go wandering desolate wastelands. Sometimes we choose to go sit in darkness and gloom and iron. Sometimes we choose to walk away from God and go and actually grab a hold of the gates of death with all of our might. Sometimes we choose to go down to the sea in ships onto a ocean of hopelessness and despair because that seems preferable to us than to give our lives to abandon unto Yahweh to give our lives to the Lord. So I just want you to remember as you listen today and you hear Pastor Kevin preaching, I want you to think about Ruth and her answer, no, I'm going to be with you because I know that where you are, that's where God's blessing is. Wouldn't it be cool if someone looked at Katie, or if they looked at Liam, or if they looked at Connor or Gabriel, or they looked at anybody out here, and when they looked at them, they saw Jesus? See, if we're underneath Jesus' blessings, when people look at us, they should see salt and light. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray together, and then we're going to sing another song, and then Pastor Kevin's going to preach. Jesus, we love you. We love you for that constant and relentless pursuit of us because of your covenant loyalty, your kessed love, that over and over and over again, you never give up on us. You never, ever abandon us. And it's just awesome, God, that you give us chance after chance after chance. That relentless pursuit, you deliver us over and over again. And I pray, Lord, today that there's maybe someone here that's hearing the truth of the gospel. Jesus is king for the first time with ears that are unplugged, with hearts that have been broken and turned from stone to flesh, and that they would yada unto Yahweh, they would abandon unto Jesus, the great I am, our Lord, our Savior and King. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.
Jesus, you are the only one who can. Amen? Amen. Goodness gracious. If you can't sing to that, I don't know. Check for a pulse, folks. Man. Goodness, goodness. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you are the God who turns graves into gardens. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would fall fresh upon the lips of a broken man about to bring your perfect word. And that all of my sin, all of my iniquity, Lord, that your spirit would still use my voice and my brokenness in between the leaving and departing of my mouth and the receiving in the ears of those who are out there, not just in this place, but all across the world who listen to our sermons online, however they hear it, Lord, that they would hear the perfection of who you are as Father, Son, and Spirit, God who turns graves into gardens. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Graves into gardens. That's what Jesus does. And he uses us to pursue, win, and disciple. Amen? And I hope that this past week, and in your life, that you truly have been salt and light, that you truly have been revealing Christ and the truth of who he is through your worship and through your ministry, that happens outside of the walls of this place, off of this campus. Maybe it's in your school. Maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe it's in your family. Hopefully it's in your family. We've been in Psalm 107 for six weeks. We took a one-week break in there to celebrate the Lord's Supper and to do a special day on that. But six weeks prior to today, this is the seventh week. That's why it says part seven up there. This is the seventh week in the same psalm. And if you're not familiar with Psalm 107 and you haven't been a part of the past six weeks, I can't catch you up on six former sermons all up to speed, but I'm going to do my best today. That first word, it's a cognate of the Hebrew, yada. It doesn't mean to give thanks. It means abandon. It means to give your all, your whole, your fullness, everything that you got. It's not todah, thanksgiving, it's yada. Five times, one, two, three, four, five, five times in Psalm 107. I don't know about you, but when I see God say something over and over and over again in his word, I stop and I say, hmm, maybe... God's trying to tell me something. Did y'all hear that? Yes. Maybe God's trying to tell us something. It's important enough to God to say it five times. In verse 1, Yada, abandon unto Yahweh. Verse 8, abandon unto Yahweh. Verse 15, abandon unto Yahweh. 21, abandon unto Yahweh. Verse 31, abandon unto Yahweh. Since beginning this sermon series, Psalm 107, the question has come up more than once. What does it look like to abandon on Yahweh? So I want you to take that question, if you've been asking it, awesome, because I'm praying, I've prayed all week, 
then we're going to answer that today. And if you're not, if you haven't been asking that question, we're going to answer it for you anyway. We're going to try to. I pray that if we don't answer it, but that God, through the revelation and the truth of his word, that he answers it. But we're not going to start with what. Before we go there, why? See, what is kind of the crust, the external. You can imitate the what's. I can sit back and I can look at you and your job and I can say, okay, Robert, he works in concrete. He's a welder. And so I'm going to look at Robert. And so what is Robert wearing? Well, he's wearing a short sleeve shirt, so I'm going to wear a short sleeve shirt. He's wearing boots with steel toe. I'm going to wear steel toe boots. Robert drives a truck. I don't drive a truck. Maybe I can go and I can get one or I'll rent one for the day. And he's got some welding gear. And he's ready. He's going out there and I show up at the job site and Robert starts to go out to do something and I say, hang on, Robert, I got this. I got all the what's. And I'm going to go over there and I'm going to blow something up and probably kill myself or get fried in the process. But as Christians, that's exactly what we do. We look at the externals. We look at the externals. What, what's, what's that person over there doing? What's Tanya doing? Oh, she prays. I guess I'll go over and I'll pray. And we never stop to ask why. Why is she praying? Why? And so today, before we get to the what, which is important if we don't understand the why and answer that question, why should we abandon unto Yahweh? Why? Maybe you know that answer. But I'm going to paint a picture for you because I love stories. I'm a visual person. So if you have a Bible with you, whether it's a book or whether it's an app or whatever, I want you to turn to the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, Genesis 14. I'm going to take a swig of water while you guys turn. Genesis 14. It's a story that right after God tells this man Abram, his name isn't even Abraham yet, because God's going to change the name. He tells this man Abram to go somewhere, and then before Abram does anything, God tells him that all of the families on earth are going to be blessed through you. See, it's a foreshadowing, it's an anticipation of Jesus Christ, Messiah, the serpent crusher. He's going to come through Abram's line. He's going to come from Jacob, the tribe of Israel. He's going to come through the Davidic kingship. And he's going to be born of a virgin. He's going to step down from heaven, down to the belly of a woman, down to a feeding bin, down, down, down. And one day he's going to go to a cross, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. That's our Messiah. Genesis 14. 14.11 The four kings took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food, and they went on. They also took Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions, for he was living in Sodom. If you've never read that story before, you say, I don't know what's going on. Who are these four kings? I don't know who Lot is. I'm not even really sure who Abram is. Well, you have the opportunity to go home today. If that 
question that's really pressing upon your heart, you can open up your Bible and you can read it because we're not going to go through that whole story. I'm just going to give you just a little sliver and I'm going to show you how that fits in with Psalm 107. How did we get there? How did Lot get to a place where he was in Sodom and then he ends up being captured by these foreign kings? Well, let's read Psalm 107. Psalm 107 tells us in verse 33, where we're going to begin today, it reads, He, that's God, Yahweh, He turns rivers into wilderness, springs into thirsty ground. A fruitful land becomes salty wasteland for the wickedness of its inhabitants. And if you're thinking, that sounds pretty good, I don't think you heard it right. See, it's turning rivers, good stuff, abundance, into wilderness. Not good. He turns springs, bubbling up, into thirsty ground. He turns a fruitful land, producing an abundant harvest, into a salty wasteland. Why? Because of the wickedness of its inhabitants. Hmm. Let's uh, fill in some backstory. How did Lot get there? Back up to Genesis chapter 13, verse 5. Now Lot, who's traveling with Abram, the one that God said, go, and then he said, all of the families on earth are going to be blessed through you. And Abram went, and that was his faith. God, you don't got to tell me anything else. You just got to say, go, and I'll say, Yeah. You say jump, and I say, how high? Because you're God. And I'm all in. Lot was traveling with Abram, who also had herds and tents, but the land was unable to support them. Is that a bad thing? The land was... God is blessing them so abundantly, and yet... In the midst of God's abundant blessing. In the midst of it. In the midst of it. Hey, let's go our separate ways. If they stayed together because of their possessions were so great, they wouldn't be able to support them. And they quarreled. Isn't that so true of us? You ever been part of a church where God is just pouring his blessing out? And instead of saying, God, you're so good, what do we do as church people? We figure out a way to bicker and argue. Tongues? What do, you, what do you think? What's your position on tongues? I don't know. Let's have a church split. You guys that believe, you guys that don't. In the midst of God's abundant, lavish, extraordinary, miraculous blessings, let's quarrel. Let's bicker about the things that are the minors. Let's, let's major on the minors and minor on the majors. There is quarreling between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's. Verse 8. So Abram said to Lot, Please, let's not have quarreling between you and me, or between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, since we're relatives. Isn't a whole land before you? Separate from me. If you go left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Do y'all remember that story we shared with the little kids just a minute ago from Ruth? 
Lot had a little different perspective. Instead of saying, God's abundant blessing is upon Abram because of his faith, Lot said, I got this. I got this. I got my PhD in animal husbandry. I got my GPS wilderness explorer. I've got a degree in cultural studies and religious studies. I've got it all down. I know the lay of the land, the geography. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to mosey. That's what it says right here in verse 10. Lot looked out and he saw the entire plain of the Jordan as far as Zoar. It was well watered everywhere like the Lord's garden. It was like Eden in the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord had destroyed, just a little caveat there, because after God destroyed it, so Lot chose the entire plain of the Jordan. See, he relied on what? His senses. Paul said in Romans chapter 14, everything that does not come from faith is sin. Everything. I don't need to be with you, Abraham. I'm going to rely on me. I'm going to look out here on the land. I'm going to see where the good stuff is and ha, ha, flip my thumb at you. Sucker, you gave me first dibs, right? I'm going to take the good stuff and you can have that desolate wasteland over there. There's one little brush. One little brush and you can't even eat off of it. I'm going to take the good stuff and I'm going to leave you with the scraps. Hmm. Looked out and saw the entire plan. Lot chose the entire plain. They separated from each other. Verse 12, Abram lived in the land of Canaan, but Lot lived in the cities on the plain. And what did he do? He pitched his tent near Sodom. We asked the question, how did he get there? He left Abraham, the vessel, the vehicle of God's blessing. I got this. Looks pretty good over there. I'll just take my stuff. I'll take my ball. I'm going to go over here. See ya. Pitched his tent outside of Sodom. Well, we all know that didn't really work out, right? Because we started reading from 14. The four kings took all of Sodom and Gomorrah, all their food. They took Abraham's nephew Lot and all of his possessions. And now, he's imprisoned. See, we said we were going to answer that question, what does abandon look like? But we said we're going to start with why abandon, and we can't until we recognize that Lot is a picture, it's like holding up a mirror of me and of you. See, that's a picture of us, the way that we come into this world in our depravity and our sin is that we're Lot's. We decide that what we're going to do is we're going to go our own way. We're going to try things out on our own. We're going to wander in desolate wastelands. We're going to sit in the darkness and the gloom and the iron. We're going to be fools and we're going to grab a hold of the gates of death because we think behind them it's life. We go down to the sea and take our chances out there rather than giving our lives to Christ. And we end up enslaved. Sounds a lot like Psalm 107, right? 
Every time that happens in Psalm 107, when they wandered in the desolate wilderness, when they sat in gloom, when they grabbed a hold of the gates of death, when they went down to the sea, every time, every time, God turned the rivers into a desolate wasteland and they cried out to God, deliver us. And you know what God did? He delivered every single time. And after God delivers, he just leaves it at that, right? He just delivers us and then he sets us over there and he says, now, now that I've delivered you, just be exactly like the book of Judges. Do whatever you see fit in your own eyes. Right? Just do whatever you want. No! He says every time after he delivers us, five times, abandon unto Yahweh. Everything. Not 90%, not 98%, not 99.99999, repeating off into infinity. No! Abandon everything. Spare no arrows. Jeremiah 50, 14. Leave nothing in the tank. Pour it all out. Abandon them, Yahweh. Why? Why would we abandon under Yahweh? Well, I'll tell you. Back to Psalm 107. Because he turns a wilderness into an oasis. Parched earth into springs. Verse 36. He causes the hungry to put down roots so that they might establish a city as their dwelling place. 37. They sow fields and plant vineyards so they will yield an abundant harvest. God did this. 38. Furthermore, he blesses them and they multiply exceedingly. And he does not permit their herds to diminish. When they are reduced and humbled through oppression and affliction and anguish, he spills contemptuous judgment on nobles. Does that sound anything like Lot's situation? Contemptuous judgment on nobles and causes them to wander aimlessly in chaos. Genesis 14. We're not going to leave it there with Lot in prison. Genesis 14, verse 13. One of the survivors came and told Abram, the Hebrew, who lived near the oaks, belonging to Mamre, the Amorite, the brothers of Eshcol and the brothers of Aner. They were bound by a treaty with Abram. When Abram, in verse 14, heard that his relative had been taken prisoner, he assembled his 318 trained men, born his household, and they went in pursuit as far as Dan. Why? Why? To rescue Lot, the fool, the one who said, I don't need you. I don't need to live under your roof and experience your blessing. I got this. I'm going to go and pitch my tent over here in the good stuff. And then the next thing, the next thing, after he was checking out what the schools were like inside of Sodom, what the dental plan was like at that company in there, right? What kind of neighborhoods they have, right? Is it five star? What kind of a rating did they get on Yelp and Google? Yeah, it seems really nice. I think I'll go in there. I think I'll go in there. I could get an office 
corner window. I'll be an executive. I'll be something. That's how he got there. And then he found himself in gloom and iron imprisoned. What does abandon look like? It looks like Abraham. See, Abraham risked everything, didn't he? 318 men? That's like nothing. And he went up against these four kings who had just wiped out five cities, fortified cities with all of their armies. And Abraham took his men and he said, you know what? You give me five guys who are sold out, who are abandoned up to the Lord, and I'll come at you. I'll come at you and we're going to win. We're going to take this thing because I'm not letting you have Tanya. I'm not letting him have Winston or Mike or Sue. I'm not letting him have Connor. You are not taking them from me. It's a picture of Jesus. Do you see it? You can't have him. And there's nothing that's going to stop me. Nothing. You got your funny little crown on your head and your robes. Who appointed you? I know the king. I serve him. He said that I'm the vehicle of blessing. And I'm coming for you. Guess what happened? He conquered. He took care of business. That's what it looks like, folks. We ask that question, what does it look like to abandon? It looks like Abraham. In Genesis chapter 14, going after Lot, putting his life on the line. All that for a thankless quarreling, petty know-it-all named Kevin. Insert your name there. Abraham didn't do it for you, but Jesus did. Abraham is just a picture, a foreshadowing of Jesus. When Jesus comes, he says, there's nothing that I won't do. There's nothing I won't do for you to rescue you from gloom and iron, from darkness, from a desolate wasteland. I'm coming for you, but I can't take you home unless you want to be with me. Abraham delivered Lot from his prison, from his tragedy. But things didn't really fare well for Lot after that. Let's go back to Psalm 107. He spills contemptuous judgment on the nobles and causes them to wander aimlessly in chaos. Verse 41, furthermore, he sets the needy on high, far removed from poverty, making their families like a flock. Not flocks, a flock, singular in the Hebrew, important. If your Bible's got an S on that, cross it out, and then you can write PK. That way, if God's going to blame somebody, he can blame me for you writing your Bible. It's flock. It's one. A family. One church. One bride. One body. 42. The righteous understand and rejoice. The sum of injustice has its mouth snapped shut. Verse 43. Whoever, are you listening, folks? Whoever is skilled, whoever has wisdom, life skill, the Hebrew word, chokmah, 
It means to be a skilled artisan in something. Someone that you've ever seen do a sculpture, paint a painting, somebody that does something, and when they get done, you go, wow, that's incredible. How did you do that? It's a gift. Don't leave it to me. That's hokmah, it's skill, and that's what God calls us to do with our very lives, is to live them skillfully as doers of the word, as salt and light, revealing Christ. Whoever is skilled will guard these and reveal Yahweh's covenant love. As I was reading through that last verse, we covered it a few weeks back, I came back to it again, and I asked myself the very simple question, guard these, guard what? Guard the truths of Psalm 107, the truths of Scripture? Guard these? Or is it something more than that? See, I think oftentimes that what we do is we say it's important to know all of the stuff, to memorize facts and Bible trivia. Maybe it's so important that what we do is we want to get into an apologetic argument with somebody so that I can rub your face in the fact that you're wrong and I know more than you. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. Whoever's skilled, whoever has wisdom will guard these. See, Scripture interprets Scripture. We said... At the very beginning, what does it look like to abandon unto Yahweh? Why do we do it? We do it for life, for God's sweet goodness. Maybe He's done it for you. Maybe He's turned your life from a grave into a garden. Maybe He's exchanged your stone heart riddled with sin for a heart of flesh. But when He does that, if we just become the end user, if we just become the consumer of Christianity, guess what, folks? We are not abandoned on Yahweh five times. Oh, I've got my hell insurance policy in my back pocket because I asked Jesus into my heart. And now I'm going to go live my life. I'm going to go pitch my tent. I'm going to do whatever seems right in my eyes because Jesus is in my heart. See, when we ask that question, what does it look like abandoned? I think the right question, the appropriate question, is who? Who does abandon look like? Who does abandon look like? See, you've got the story of Lot and Abraham, and you're either in this camp or you're in that one. You're either Abram in that story or you're Lot. You're either the person who says, you know, you are so important to me that I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. I'm never going to quit. I'm going to chase after you, Connor, all the days of your life. And if you turn your back on Jesus, I'm still coming. I'm never giving up on you, buddy. Ever. Ever. Because you're my gift. And I'm never giving up on you. Ever. Church family, you are my treasure, you are my gift, and I'm never giving up on you, ever, ever. Is there someone in your life who's a lot that you've given up on? Well, you know what? We, we tried. 
We sent them to rehab. We did this. You know what? I gave them some money. I, I did some stuff, but I'm not going to be an enabler. You don't have to be an enabler to love somebody and to reveal Christ's covenant to love. Jesus is an enabler. He says that you've got to abandon unto me. Are you Abram or are you Lot? Are you looking down your nose at somebody saying they don't deserve to be here this morning? I don't like the way that they're dressed. I don't like their doctrine. I don't like their theology. I don't like their position on tongues. They're not going to be a part of this church. Says who? Says you? Or says Jesus? See, you're either Abram or you're Lot. You're either Jesus or you're still lost. And when I say Jesus, I'm not saying you're literally Jesus. Don't come up to me afterward and say, Pastor, how am I supposed to be Jesus? Jesus is Jesus. Be his disciple. Reveal Christ in and through your life. What does yada, what does abandon look like? It looks like guarding these. Who are you guarding? See, because if you're not guarding anyone, you're what? You're the people in the book of Judges who are just simply doing whatever they saw fit in their own eyes. Pitching their tents, moving into Sodom, and then the next thing you know, it becomes a desolate wasteland. In your life, who's the who? We don't want to imitate programs and projects and do the what's the externals, it's all garbage, and all that stuff is going to be burned up. Someone comes up to me and they say, Pastor, I've got a great ministry idea. I'm going to tell you what it looks like, and right there I can say, ah! I want to know what it looks like. I want to know who it is for. Who does it look like? Who's the lost person? The disillusioned person? The deluded person? Who is your ministry for? Not what does it look like and how many dollars you need? We spent a lot of time in Psalm 107, and I spent a lot of time translating it. And so I'm going to read Psalm 107 from 1 to 43. Abandoned unto Yahweh for sweet goodness. His covenantal love is everlasting. Let the redeemed of Yahweh declare he has redeemed them from the clutches of the adversary. Furthermore, he has gathered them from throughout the earth, as far as the rising and the setting of the sun. From the east to the west, from misery and exile to hopelessness at sea, from the north and the south. They wandered in desolate wastelands, finding no way to a city to thrive within. Hungry and thirsty, their appetite overwhelmed them. And in their trouble, they cried out to Yahweh, and he delivered them out of their dire straits. He led them by the pleasing way, so that they might go into a city as a place to dwell. Abandon unto Yahweh for his covenant love and his extravagant works unto the descendants of Adam. For he satisfies the parched throat. He fills the famished gut with sweet goodness. 
They sat in darkness in the world of dread, prisoners of gloom and iron, because they rebelled against the word of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, he humbled their heart with brutal labor. They collapsed, and no one provided aid. And in their despair, they cried out to Yahweh, and he delivered them out of their dire straits. He brought them out of darkness and the world of dread. Furthermore, he broke their chains apart, abandoned unto Yahweh for his covenantal love and his extravagant works unto the descendants of Adam. For he has demolished the bronze gates, sliced through the bars of iron. Fools were brought low because of their rebellion and sinful ways. Their throats abhorred all manner of food as they stretched out for the gates of death. And in their misery, they cried out to Yahweh, and he delivered them out of their dire straits. He sent his word and healed them. He delivered them from their pitfalls. Abandoned unto Yahweh for his covenantal love and his extravagant works unto the descendants of Adam. Let them slaughter the sacrifices for thanksgiving and recount his works in joyful song. They went down to the sea in ships, conducting business on the waters. They've seen Yahweh's works and his wonders in the deep. He speaks and the tempest wind stirs its breakers. They ascend the heavens. They plummet to the depths. Their very souls melt in dread. They stagger and stumble like a drunkard. All their skill is devoured. And in their hopelessness, they cried out to Yahweh. And he delivered them out of their dire straits. He whispers to the squall, and his swells are hushed. They rejoice when the waves are still. Furthermore, he guided them to the harbor they longed for. Abandoned unto Yahweh for his covenantal love and his extravagant works unto the descendants of Adam. Let them adore him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the place of the elders. He turns rivers into wilderness, springs into thirsty ground. A fruitful land becomes a salty wasteland for the wickedness of its inhabitants. He turns a wilderness into an oasis. Parched earth into springs, he causes the hungry to put down roots so that they might establish the city as their dwelling place. They sow fields and plant vineyards so they will yield an abundant harvest. Furthermore, he blesses them and they multiply exceedingly. He does not permit their herds to diminish. When they are reduced and humbled through oppression, affliction, and anguish, he spills contemptuous judgment on nobles and causes them to wander aimlessly in chaos. Furthermore, he sets the needy on high, far removed from poverty, making their families like a flock. The righteous understand and rejoice. The sum of injustice has its mouth snapped shut. Whoever is skilled, guard peace and reveal Yahweh's covenantal love. 